Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. We are in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be looking at four verses, one through four. If you're new with us, welcome. Welcome to River Bible Church. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor teacher here, and we are so glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back for you next to the, to the AV booth. Uh, feel free to grab one of those and take that home. That's our gift to you. Well, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 8. As you do that, let me give you a review. Um, Last Sunday, we actually finished our study of the Sermon on the Mount. It took us 10 months, over 10 months, and I I really do pray that it was well worth it. I, I pray that you guys learned as much as I did. I pray that it was as joyful to listen to and, and apply to your life as it was for me to, to teach and preach it. Um, so if we were to recap Jesus' entire sermon over the past 10, 10 and a half months, here's my summary. This is what Jesus told his disciples and the crowd. He said, my paraphrase, what you've been taught by the scribes, what you've been taught by the Pharisees is wrong. Their lives are wrong, their attitude is wrong, and their doctrine is wrong. That's what Jesus said. So in other words, nearly everything the scribes and the Pharisees believed in, everything they stood for, everything they they, they hoped for, the coming of this Messiah, it was all wrong. It was unbiblical. It was ungodly. Why is that? Because they placed their words above God's word, right? They focused in on tradition, and by focusing in on on tradition, they lowered God's standard. So Jesus, with his sermon, what he did is he overturned the entire religious system. And now we get to see proof of, of why he did that, and why Jesus is teaching, and why that sermon is so powerful. Because today, we're going to quickly pick up the pace here. Uh, Today's message is called the Sermon on the Move, and with good reason. Matthew 8 begins where Matthew chapter 4 left off. So if you just want to flip a few pages back to Matthew 4, you'll see that Jesus is teaching all over Galilee at this time. Galilee's a big place. There's over 240 little towns and villages throughout Galilee And Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. He was preaching the gospel. He was healing the sick. It's kind of a summary verse from from Matthew. Um, And what Matthew does there, he summarizes really months of ministry in just one verse. And then Matt takes a break from all that action, and he records Jesus' famous sermon in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now, why would he do that? Why would he stop the action and get, us, uh, get our attention 
on the words of Jesus. And we've got action, action, action for months and months and months. He takes a pause, and all of a sudden, he wants us to listen to a sermon. Well, we need to know why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And the Sermon on the Mount, that explains all of that in great detail. So, as we move forward here in, in chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see the Sermon on the Mount turn into the Sermon on the Move. Um, last week, I, I closed the message by discussing why we should listen to Jesus and, and why we should apply these things to our lives. And we discussed the, the reason that we should listen, right? Uh, the reason that we, ch that we choose the narrow gate, the reason that we choose the narrow road, uh, the reason that we have discernment for, for all these false teachers, the reason that we want to bear good fruit instead of bad, the reason that we build our house on the rock is because of all who preach that sermon. It's the Lord. It's the Lord God Almighty. It is Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, guys. To prove that Jesus is Lord, he lives the gospel out. He practices what he preaches. So Matthew shows beyond a shadow of a doubt today that Jesus is God wrapped up in flesh and bone. So over the next several months, we're going to witness nine miracles performed by the Lord Jesus himself, each one of these carefully selected by Matthew out of thousands what does this mean for you today? Why do y'all care? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. We are going to start in, we're going to back up a few verses here. Matthew chapter 7 and starting in verse 28 to give us the full context of what's going on. If you would, please read, uh, read the scriptures with me out loud. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing... You can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Dear friends, these are the, the very words from Almighty God. These words are inspired. They are authoritative. They are inerrant. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, your word says this in Psalm 51.7. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Father in heaven, we all come before you today and we, are, we feel broken, we feel dirty, 
we feel shameful and we need to be cleansed. We need to be clean. And your word tells us that you have washed us and that we are whiter than snow. So, Father, it's, it's as if you have washed your church, yes, and you continue washing us. And I pray that today is a day of that continual cleansing. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Please have a seat. Well, let's take a deeper look here at verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. Now, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Now, when you read Matthew's gospel, you're going to notice here that Matt continually drops subtle hints and we have, we have a subtle hint here in verse 1. He points out that Jesus preached on a mountain. Matthew actually makes that distinction 13 times. So why, why is that so important? What is the theological significance here of a mountain? Well, Matthew makes a comparison between Jesus and Moses. Moses, he did a lot of ministry on and around mountains. Matthew points to the fact that although the law was given to Moses on the mountain, Jesus is the only one who can actually fulfill it. So in other words, Jesus is the new Moses. Now, I know that sounds strange to us, uh, but Jesus is the one the Jews were waiting for, the Jewish Christians, that is, is Matt's uh, original audience. So they would have been very familiar with the typology there. God started the redemption process through Moses. However, God himself came from heaven to actually fulfill it. So back to verse 1. So when he, that's Jesus, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. So the sermon is now over. Jesus, he just wants to go home. We know this because in verse 5, which we'll get to next week, Matthew says that Jesus was headed for Capernaum, and that's where Jesus is living at the time. But Jesus has got a problem. He's got a stadium full of people who are now following him. And that's not necessarily a good thing. We don't know how many of these people believe in Jesus. Many people, no doubt, they're curious about Jesus. Others simply observed what was happening, and they just wanted to be entertained for the day. Regardless, Jesus, or Rabbi Jesus, is now rock star Jesus. He's performed miracles and he has preached the most shocking, the most authoritative sermon uh, the history uh, has ever known. So now we got the paparazzi, they're following Jesus' every move. Verse 2, right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Circle that word in your Bible right away. Your translation, your translation may say, behold, or suddenly there was this man. Now, let me, let me back up a minute and ask you, how often 
Have you had your own mountaintop experience with the Lord, right? Maybe, maybe you have your spiritual epiphany during your quiet time, or maybe you're driving home from a men's retreat or women's retreat, and then, bam, something happens to distract you from that holy moment that, that you just experienced. Man, it happens all the time. Same thing here happens to Jesus. So back to verse 2, he says, right away, a man with leprosy. Leprosy. The root word behind leper is lepros in Greek. It means scaly. So we have a scaly man standing in front of Jesus. A scaly describes really one of the earliest, one of the most prominent characteristics of, of leprosy. We call it Hansen's disease today. Uh, leprosy was the most feared disease in all the ancient world. The good news is that by God's grace, by medical science, proper medication can keep um, Hansen's disease in check. However, leprosy, back in the first century, it was a slow, crippling death sentence. So to protect people, uh, for God to protect his people, God basically gave some strict regulations to Moses regarding leprosy. And those details are found in the book of Leviticus. That's the book most of us skip over. Right? All the pages are still stuck together. And the reason that you want to read Leviticus, especially Leviticus 13 and 14, is because it leads to today's story. In Luke's gospel... The good doctor tells us that this man, he's not just leprous, he has an advanced case of leprosy. So what does that mean? Well, let me paint the scene here as, as to what Jesus and his disciples and, and the crowds are seeing. The first thing that everyone sees is obviously the leper's physical appearance. Hansen's disease has consumed his entire body. Hansen's disease, it, it's a bacterial infection. It slowly disfigures a person's appearance, and it leads to death. It is a contagious skin disease, and it, it impacts the skin by its color, by its texture, and by its odor. It also affects his voice. It, it, gives, it, it gave this man a, a raps, a, kind of a, a harsh, rapsy-sounding voice. Lepsy, uh, leprosy has slowly destroyed this man's nerves because the disease, what it does is it, um, it, it strikes the nervous system. It destroys the nervous system. So in other words, this man, he doesn't feel pain like you and I do. And having an advanced case of leprosy, he most likely doesn't have the tips of his fingers, maybe his toes. He may have a broken arm. He may be walking with a cane. He may have burns all over his body because he can't feel the heat of the fire. Leprosy can take up to 10 years for the, de for the disease to actually reach his bones and his muscles. And that is before it kills him. Secondly, so that was physically. Secondly, the only social life this man has is with other lepers. This man lived in a leper colony, a.k.a. a garbage dump. 
none of us can imagine the humiliation, the isolation that this man has experienced over the years. He has been completely cut off from society. And according to Leviticus chapter 13, a leper had to wear torn clothes. He had to keep his hair unkept. And he had to cover his mouth and yell, unclean, unclean, everywhere he went. Now, can you imagine everywhere that you went, people running away from you? I mean, what would that do to you emotionally? What would that do to your psyche? Your identity, your, your personhood. And if that wasn't tragic enough, the rabbis made things worse by placing these pointless restrictions on this man. So, for example, it was, it was even illegal to say hi to him. The Jews, was, they, they would say shalom. You couldn't even greet the man. Lepers were also made to wear bells around their necks. Lepers had to stay 150 feet away from people. That is, if you were downwind, but if you were upwind, only six feet away. And financially, this man was a beggar. He couldn't do anything else but beg for a living. Spiritually, the, the rabbis thought, this is amazing, that prayer did not work for leprosy. So this man was not only banned from society, but he was also banned from God's presence. He couldn't go to the temple. And the reason he was banned was not only because the disease was contagious, but because everybody thought that God cursed him. So the word leprosy, it not only means scaly, but it also means smitten. This man has been struck down by God. So this man couldn't even get prayer because the rabbis thought that prayer wouldn't help. Now, why would they think that? To understand kind of the big picture here, let's turn to the Old Testament. I, I want to give you three examples of three specific Jews who were struck with leprosy. The first was a woman named Miriam. She was the sister of Moses and Aaron. Uh, one day... Miriam and Aaron, they're not happy. And they start running their mouths about Moses' leadership. They're not too thrilled about, you know, this 40-year little hike through the desert that Big Brother is leading them on. So what do they do? They start gossiping. They start slandering their brother. They don't like the way Moses is, is handling this crisis. We pick up the story here in, in Numbers chapter 12. So they, that's Aaron and Miriam, they said to one another, hey, does the Lord speak only through Moses? I mean, doesn't he speak through us as well? You remember what happened? The end of the verse, and the Lord heard it. Uh-oh. <laughs> the Lord heard it. So the Lord God Almighty, he told Aaron and uh, Miriam, all right, guys, you're going to have to put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on. We're going to have a little chat. They get called in the principal's office. Numbers 12, 9, 
the Lord's anger burned against them, and then he left. As soon as the Lord left, Miriam was struck with leprosy. She was cast out of the camp for seven days as a punishment for the sin of running her mouth against the Lord's anointed. Secondly, King Uzziah of, Ju- Ju- uh, Ju- of Judah, excuse me. Uzziah was king for 52 years. He was king um, when he turned 16 years old. Now, Uzziah, he was, a, he was a good king. He was a godly king. The Lord blessed him. But just like everybody else, he is not perfect. And he made a tragic mistake. He took on the role of, of the high priest. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 26. As a side note, Jesus Christ is the only one who fulfills both of those roles. He is king and he is high priest. So this is obviously a serious sin against God. Uzziah, he knows this, but pride gets in the way here. Regardless, Uzziah, he enters the temple. He begins to do the the duties of a priest. He offers incense. And as he was doing this, He was struck with leprosy. He had to leave Jerusalem and then basically live in isolation the rest of his his life. Thirdly, there was a gentleman by the name of Gehazi, and he was the servant of the prophet Elisha. You can read about this in 2 Kings 5. Elisha heals a man named Naaman. Uh, Naaman had leprosy. Naaman was a soldier. He was a commander in the Syrian army. Now Gehazi, he witnessed Elisha heal him. So Naaman, what he tries to do is thank Elisha by giving him some cash. Elisha's a prophet. He says, thanks, but no thanks. Gehazi, on the other hand, he's quite the entrepreneur. Ah, he sees the opportunity here. So Gehazi, he goes to Naaman. He takes the cash. He stashes it in in his house. And then he lies about the whole thing to Elisha. How do you think that worked out for him? He was struck with the very leprosy that Naaman was cured of. So we all see a pattern here, right? In all of these cases, the disease was an immediate judgment from God for their sin. And that's why the rabbis believed that leprosy was incurable. So, with all that background, back to verse 2. Right away, a man with leprosy came up, knelt before Jesus, and he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So just picture the scene, right? There's this ginormous crowd following Jesus. By the way, how hard is it to walk through a crowd like this? Have you been to a Cardinals game or a Suns game? It's hard to walk through that kind of crowd, right? Not this guy, though. This guy makes a beeline straight for Jesus, and everybody is running away from him in horror. (laughs) Matthew doesn't say whether or not he's, he's yelling, unclean, unclean. People are probably cussing at him. Others may be picking up stones to to try to kill him. Everybody's disgusted by him. This man reeks of disease. 
His clothes are torn. I want you to think, I want you to think now of the worst looking homeless person you've ever seen and multiply that times a thousand. That, that, that's who this man is. So all of a sudden there's this burst of chaos in the crowd, right? And this crowd parts like Moses with the Red Sea. Everybody's getting away from him. And then he sees Jesus. And what's he do when he sees Jesus? He stops. He stops right in his tracks. See, he wants to keep his distance. In verse 2, right away a man with leprosy came up and, and, and he sees Jesus, so he kneels before him. Your translation may say, bowed, worshipped. Uh, worshipped is the best translation here because that is precisely what he's doing. Luke's gospel says that he fell on his face. The picture here is that he throws himself on the ground and his face is in the dirt. And with his raspy, disease-eaten voice and all the, the energy this man can muster, he says, Lord. This man obviously didn't know everything about Jesus. But he knew enough. Somehow, someway, he heard the stories. He listened to the miracles. He believed in the healings before Jesus preached that Sermon on the Mount. And this leper found out that this Jesus from Nazareth could heal every disease. He heard about all the suffering, the pain, all of it. He even heard about Jesus tossing around demons with a single command. And he says, Lord, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So although this man dared to break every social law possible to get to Jesus, I want you to notice his humility. He says, if, it means perhaps, perhaps, if, it's a conditional statement. It's completely up to you, Lord. He doesn't demand. He doesn't question. He simply says, if. So everyone's watching this dying, leprous man with his face in the dirt talking with Jesus. Mark's gospel indicates that he repeated this phrase several times. So, guys, if you're there, if you saw this happening, what would you see? We got a man on his knees, his, his, his head is down, his face is in the dirt, and he's repeating this. And he's saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me We call that prayer, don't we? The crowd is watching someone physically praying to Almighty God Himself. Isn't that what we do when we pray? Lord, will you do this for me? Lord, will you do that for me? Back to verse 2, he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
The leper knows that the only person who can heal him is this Jesus. No one else can do this. He says, you can make me, you can make me clean. I want you to notice this man's amazing faith. In other words, Lord, you have the power to make me clean. Me. A dirty, rotten, smelly, stricken by God. I'm hated by everybody. You have the power to make me clean. You see how personal this prayer is? The, the leper doesn't question Jesus' ability to heal. He only wondered if Jesus was willing. Back to verse 2, he says, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. This man is asking for a miracle. Because he's heard the gospel secondhand. And, you know, this guy has more faith at this point in God than the disciples do. He not only wants to be healed from leprosy, he wants to be made right with his family and society. And most importantly, he wants to be made right with God. He wants to be clean inside and out. Man, that's a pretty big ask. I guess that's why they call them miracles and not normicles. I'm guessing... I'm guessing the way that Jesus looked at this leper is the first time someone really saw him. Matthew doesn't say how long this this took, but he does record what happens next in verse 3. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am, I am willing. Be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now notice here what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, now, whoa, 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 whoa. Just wait, slow down. Let's wait one minute here. I, I got a couple questions for you. First of all, why are you kneeling? Secondly, why are you calling me Lord. And third, leprosy. Mmm, leprosy. Mmm, wow. That, whoo, that's a tough one. You know I'm not a leprosy specialist. You know, maybe we ought to get a professional down here from the Verde Valley Medical Center. Jesus doesn't say that, does he? No. Instead, notice this, guys. Very important. Jesus receives, he accepts the worship, he accepts the prayer. Jesus also doesn't leave. Every other rabbi would shrink back from being exposed, and not only that, no rabbi would risk spiritual defilement either. So what's Jesus do? Jesus does the unthinkable. In verse 3, he, reaching out his hand, he touches this man. Notice that Jesus acts first, and then he speaks. This man may have sought Jesus out, but now, remember there's a gap. There's a gap between them. Jesus now closes the gap. Jesus now pursues 
the, the leper. Jesus moves towards the disease. He's not scared of this. He's not intimidated. Are you kidding me? And although this man has been separated from people for years and maybe even decades, this man is not separated from Almighty God. And it brings us to key point number one. It is never too late to be touched by God. Dear friends, I don't care where you are in life. I don't care how angry you are. I don't care how broken you are. I don't care how shame-based you are. It is never too late to be touched by God. Jesus touching this leper, it was so terrifying and yet powerful that that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the synoptic writers, the, the similar writers of the gospel, they all record it. Why? Because leprosy was incurable, right? There is no way a person could ever benefit from touching a leper. Touching this man would only harm you. And we get this. I mean, we understand this. We know that if something clean touches something dirty, both are dirty. Jesus touching this man is more than superficial contact. He didn't just touch him. Jesus grabs a hold of this man. So in some way, Jesus firmly gripped, he clung to this man. I love it. The whole scene is just divinely scandalous here. Now, until, until now... I'm guessing that you could have heard a pin drop throughout this whole thing, even with all those people. But not when Jesus took hold of that leper. When Jesus touched that leper, everything changes. The crowd erupts in disgust. The onlookers, they are appalled. The disciples are shocked. Why on earth did Jesus just touch a leper? Mark's gospel says this in Mark 141, moved with compassion, Jesus, he reached out and he touched him. Your translation may say that Jesus was indignant or had pity. Now, which one is it? Because having compassion and being indignant, those are two separate things, right? Those are two different emotions. Well, Think about how emotional you get at times. It's both. And Jesus is emotional at this moment. Keep in mind, he is truly human. He was moved by love because this man was hurting, but yet he was also angry because of what sin had done to this man's life. And yet, as emotional as this moment is, can't you see just... Jesus smiling as he physically approaches this man and, and touches him? Jesus could have healed him with a word. We'll find that out next week. But Jesus made a point here of physically touching this, this man. I want you to, to recognize that his touch was not sensational, right? It was not spectacular, It's not like the, the fake faith healers that are running around today. 
Jesus' touch was simply an act of compassion because he's the great physician to a hopeless, dying, sinful man. And not only was it compassionate, it was also a command. At this moment, we see both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Theologically, we call this the hypostatic union. So Jesus, the name Jesus, in his humanity, Jesus means God saves. Christ, that's his title. That's his divinity. It means his anointed one. He's the Messiah. So Jesus Christ is both truly human and truly divine. And when you put his first name and his title together, Jesus Christ, this is what it means. That God saves by his anointed one. So we first see Jesus' compassion as a human, and now we see his power as God. Notice the power in what Jesus says next. Verse 3, he says, I am willing. I am willing. Be made clean. So in other words, of course I'm willing. Of course I want you well. Not only is Jesus willing to make this man clean, but he commands it to be so. Look at this. He says, be made clean. So just as Jesus spoke the cosmos into existence with the Father and the Spirit, he spoke healing and health into existence as well. What happens next? I don't know. I'm guessing Spielberg, he, he he can't reproduce this. Right? He can't replicate this. Verse 3, immediately, this, his leprosy was cleansed. Instantly, without delay, without hesitation, this man was healed. So if you blinked, you missed it. Now, the crowds must have lost their minds. I mean, talk about emotional. This miracle had to instill a sense of terror to see. I mean, think about it. You're seeing a deformed, shriveled, scaly, sore-covered leper. He's laying on the ground one moment, and the next, he stands up. He's got perfect skin. He's got no odor to him. He's got a normal voice. We don't know if, if the scales fell off his skin. Or if the bruises and the wounds, if they were visibly transformed before the the crowd's eyes. But whatever it looked like, man, it must have been something to see. Everybody saw it. I mean, think, think about the details now. His face. Think about his face. His eyebrows. His eyelashes. His nose. His hair. All instantly restored. His hands probably looked like claws. His feet were more like stubs. Everything about this man was transformed at this moment. Notice this, when Jesus healed, he did so without gimmicks, without formulas, and without fanfare. He also didn't charge people. He didn't give any excuses when the healings didn't work because they always worked. He he healed instantaneously. 
He healed totally, not partially. It didn't matter how severe the disease or the deformity was. And notice this, there was no drawn out waiting period either. There was no recovery process. There was no medication involved. Now that's not how it's supposed to go. According to Leviticus chapter 5, Jesus becomes unclean the moment that he touches a leper. And yet, Jesus surpasses the Old Testament law here. He doesn't break it. He surpasses it. He transcends it. He doesn't abolish it. He doesn't defile it. Now, this is amazing to me, this next point. Isn't it interesting that Matthew doesn't say how the leper responded? Isn't that fascinating? I think if I was commissioned or if you were commissioned to write this account, I would have added that tiny little detail. Instead, Matthew ends this miracle story in such an odd way. Look at verse 4. Jesus told him, all right, listen. See that you don't tell anyone. Yeah, right. Good luck with that. But I want you to go, and I want you to show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Very important here. As compassionate as Jesus is, there is still business that needs to be done. Jesus says in verse 4, see that you don't tell anyone. Hello, there's like a hundred witnesses, eyewitnesses. And there's a thousand more who just missed it. The miracle is undeniable. So why would Jesus say that? Well, First and foremost, Jesus' ministry has exploded. He doesn't want, he doesn't need the attention. If you heard the adage, when you have a mega church, you've got mega problems. That fits well here. But he says in verse 4, he says, I want you to go and I want you to show yourself to the priest. A priest must approve the leper's status for him to be legally clean. So the leper still had to do what the Old Testament says about leprosy in Leviticus chapter 14. So what's this guy have to do? Well, he's he's got to hightail it to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is is 90 miles away from Galilee. That's like walking from here, Cottonwood, down to Phoenix. It's going to take him about a week. And once he gets there, there's this prescribed eight-day cleansing ceremony that he's got to go through. Notice here that sicknesses were healed. Leprosy must be cleansed. And the fascinating thing about this moment is that although the ceremony had been on the books for thousands of years, this was the first time the ceremony was actually used. Isn't that cool? Verse 4. He says, I want you to offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So Jesus said that this is going to be proof. It's a testimony to the priest. Why is that important? Well, because Jesus just did something that the priest considered as difficult as raising the dead. In the mind of the rabbis, 
and their theology about leprosy, right? Miriam, Gehazi, Uzziah. Jesus just overturned a judgment pronounced by God. And that's the proof that he is God. Because he just performed a miracle that only God can do. All right, so what's all of this mean for us today? Well, first and foremost, if you're an unbeliever this morning, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, Jesus performed this miracle to get your attention. This narrative is an illustration about your own life. And here's how. It teaches that leprosy begins beneath the skin, just like sin. Leprosy, like sin, it then spreads through your entire body. So what do you do when you find out you're sick, right? You try to control it. You go to the doctors. You get some medication. Don't we do the same thing with sin? Don't we try to control our behavior for a certain season? Maybe you try to be a better person, whatever that means. Maybe you start to go out of your way to be nice to people so you can feel somewhat less guilty. But like leprosy in the first century, your sin, it will not be controlled. Leprosy is an outward picture of an inner reality. We're all sinners. We cannot fix ourselves, but we can learn a lesson from the leper here. Let me show you two things. Number one, the leper was aware of his condition. This poor man not only said he was unclean, he knew he was unclean. And if you have that awareness this morning, that is very, very good news because that only comes from God the Father. Number two, the leper knew his situation was hopeless. He knew that there was nothing that he could do to help himself. He could not cure himself of leprosy. And there was nothing anyone else could do for him either. Only God could help this man. And guess what? God physically touched him. So, regardless of where you are right now, regardless of the fear that you have and the guilt that you feel and the addiction that is destroying your life, please know this, Jesus can handle your sin. He's not shocked by it, he's not horrified by it, he's not embarrassed by it. Hebrews 12.2 says this, Jesus endured the cross and he despised your shame. In other words, Jesus took your shame and, and cast it off like it was nothing. Oh, how I love that verse. Please know that Jesus can handle. He can deal with your shame once and for all if you let him. So just as Jesus touched the leper, he's also willing to touch you. So how do you come to Jesus well, let's follow the, the leper's example here. The leper came humbly to Jesus because he believed in him. He believed that Jesus was God. He believed that Jesus could heal him. 
The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 10, 9. This is so good. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why? Why, Paul? Because one believes in the heart and that results in righteousness. The result is that God transforms your life and you start to living life in a right way according to God. And one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation, eternal life with him. Paul also wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, so that's God the Father, he made the one, that's Jesus, who did not know sin, right? Jesus was perfect. To be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is exactly what Jesus did for this leper in real time. Jesus took on our flesh, our sins, our filth. So Jesus' touch is the gospel. Now, for those of you who are believers this morning, what's this, what's this narrative mean for you? Well, first of all, I, I hope it's a reminder of the salvation in your own life. We, guys, we are never to forget that verse, ever. It's a reminder of how, God, how, how far God has brought us. So this morning, it's a time of continued repentance in our lives, praising God, and also celebrating what He's done. Because Jesus healing lepers and casting out demons, let me tell you, that is so easy for Him. These miracles in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, this stuff is so easy for Jesus. What's not easy is the cost of our salvation. It costs God his own life in human form to cleanse us of our spiritual leprosy. Secondly, it's also a time to share your story with someone I pray you get to share your testimony, your story with someone this week, and that this text is a reminder of that. So guys, we've, we've experienced God verse by verse this morning, and I, I, pray, I, I pray that you would share Jesus day by day. That when you hear somebody crying out for help, they've got spiritual questions, They've got a serious thing going on in their life that you don't keep this to yourself. Don't keep this in your head. Allow it to go to your heart and, and just to your hands, just like Jesus this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us what it looks like to be a physical leper, but also a spiritual leper. And not only that, Lord God, thank you for healing both. I pray that we do have our spiritual antennas up this week. I pray, Lord God, that we're able to share our testimony with how you saved us, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's family, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a stranger. Lord, you've given us this good news. And may we bless the Verde Valley with it. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.